Well, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you so much for being here. You may be seated. If you brought your Bibles, you will want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be looking at a couple verses in just a few moments. Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 14 and following. So good for us to be here to worship. Uh, we uh, had our first worship this morning at 7 o'clock. Over 100 people came to our pavilion, and, uh, which we're now calling the tabernacle. And, uh, but uh, I'm grateful we had a lot of volunteers that helped us put it together, and no one was hurt this, this morning. So it, st it stayed in place. Uh, so it's a good day for us to worship the Lord for sure. Matthew 28, 1 to 10, let me remind you, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. So come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. So the women ran quickly from the tomb they were frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And when they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. Now, before I continue, I don't know if you're like I am, but don't you wonder what the greeting was? Hey, how's it going? Told you. Boo. I mean, what? what? I, I'm thinking... When Jesus, probably his favorite line of all times, of getting to greet people when he finally was risen from the grave. And I finally figured out in the Greek it says, the best is yet to come. <laughs> Maybe not. Anyway, they ran to him, they grasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. I want us to focus on verse 6. This is such a huge verse. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. Can you imagine hearing that phrase from Jesus? He is not, or hearing from the, uh, the angels. He is not here. He is risen from the dead. Come and see where his body was lying. They're having walked with Jesus, having talked with Jesus having heard him teach, having seen him perform miracles, having seen him beaten, whipped, nailed to the cross, only to watch him die. Imagine all your hopes, all your aspirations, all your expectations blown to pieces on the cross, and then three days later you hear, he isn't here, he's alive, just as he said he would be. Had Jesus not risen, he just would have been another good teacher. Had Jesus not risen from the grave, he would have been another uh, good counselor at best. Had Jesus not risen, he would have been a martyr. Now, while none of Jesus' miracles proved that he was the Son of God, as amazing as they were, his resurrection does prove that he's the Son of God. Everything rises and falls on the resurrection. 
So listen to this. If Jesus really did rise from the grave, if he really, really rose from the grave, do you realize everything's going to be okay? I mean, think about this. If he's able to do the impossible and there is no impossible with him, he's able to take whatever you have brought today, whatever tomb you may find yourself in, Jesus is capable of doing the impossible with what you think is never going to happen again. Now, I realize some doubt the validity of the resurrection. I understand that. But there's a list of objective evidence regarding the truth that the resurrection, and it is substantial that he is risen. Let me just name a couple of them. One, Jesus' body was dead. So you've got to do something with that. The two-ton stone was rolled away. You have to do something with that. The tomb was empty. You had to do something with that. The soldiers were AWOL. The grave clothes were present. There are numerous theories, but one was called the swoon theory. That's one of my favorite ones. I don't believe it, but I just find it interesting that some people buy into the swoon theory. The swoon theory goes like this. Jesus did not actually die on the cross. He just swooned, which means that he survived a spear that pierced the pericardial sac around his heart. He was enwrapped in an airtight, mummified shroud for three days, but was able to work his way out of that, was then able to move a two-ton stone, was then able to overcome uh, 16 of the guards before that, and after that, walked through locked doors and appeared over 500 people. That is the swoon theory. His tomb is empty and he's resurrected, and the resurrection shows that he is God. He's the only one in history to die, to raise from the grave, and never to die again. Our Savior's not dead. He's living. He's with us. He saved us, which makes living and putting your life and putting your hope in Jesus much more than just a good idea. I've heard it put this way. Information alone rarely changes a person. Information alone rarely changes lives, but experiencing the truth, it'll set you free. And our hope this morning is that you will put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ from death to life. And there has to be a death that takes place, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to actually allow everybody in this room to have the choice to say, I'm going to put myself to death and, and, and cross the bridge, so to speak, to life. You see... Resurrection only comes after a death. Friday precedes Sunday. And so there needs to be a death before life can be, uh, be found out. There was only one man who paid for what he did not do so others would get what they did not earn. I want you to hang on to that for just a second. There was only one man who paid for what he did not do so others would get what they did not earn. Jesus is the bridge He's the bridge that God will never leave his redemptive work undone. So whatever you brought in today, he's not through with you. God can cause all things to work together for good if you love him and pursue him, if you cross the bridge, so to speak. Jesus says uh, he, he, he redeems what he allows. So no matter what you have brought in today, whatever is hanging over your head, Jesus overcame death. He did the impossible and there is nothing impossible with him anymore. So God has a solution. It's a bridge. It's not a bridge of negotiation. 
It's not a bridge of transaction. I'll do this if God, you'll do this for me. It's not a bridge of call to action. It's not a bridge of a new strategy to put into place. It is not a bridge of self-improvement. It is not a bridge of sin avoidance. It is not a bridge of performance, which is my nemesis, by the way. I brought it was brought up in an environment where if you produce, if you perform, then you're acceptable. My issue, not anybody else's, but it is not a bridge of self-improvement. And I have my home church to blame for this, and I want to tell you why my home church is to blame for the performance. I grew up in the church. We had offering envelopes. Anybody remember offering envelopes? Some of you that are really old? Okay. All right. So we had these offering envelopes. We show up. You show up to Sunday school, and there are four boxes on the offering envelope. And you get 25 points for each box that you filled out. Box number one, attend Sunday school. Well, I'm in Sunday school, and so check, 25 points. The next box is attend worship. Well, I'm going to attend worship. My parents made me. And so I was going to attend that. So check, another 25 points. The third one is reading your, daily, reading your Bible daily. Check, another 25 points. And then the last one, giving an offering. Check, another 25 points. Every week I scored 100. It was awesome. And here's why I scored 100. Because in junior high it was the boys against the girls. And I made sure that the guys would always beat the girls. Now, it's a good thing they didn't have box number five. Box number five would have said, have you lied on any of the above? I lied every stinking week, but it was well worth it. See, God's solution is not about performance. It's not about negotiation. It's not about you improve. God has a bridge, and it's a bridge of relationship with Jesus Christ. The bridge is a person, and his name is Jesus. So if we have opportunity to to come into contact with the one who has done the impossible, if he wants to change our lives, how do we embrace that? How do we make Easter count for more than just one particular day? Hebrews 4. It'll become your new best friend for this week. So Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. It's an amazing passage, and we will conclude by looking at Hebrews 4. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered the heavenlies... Jesus, the Son of God. Now, let me just stop for just a second. He's talking about, he, the writer of Hebrews is talking to a group of people who understood the role of a high priest. And so he's saying, Jesus is like the great high priest. The role of the great high priest, everybody knew that when uh, the Israelites would come, they would confess their sins to the high priest. The high priest would then uh, walk into the tabernacle. He would confess their sins. He would confess his own sins. One time a year, July 10th, every year, the Day of Atonement, it was a big deal. They would do the same thing, confess sins. He would confess his sin, confess their sin, then would kill an, uh, an innocent lamb, and he would take the blood and go into the Holy of Holies. One time a year, go into the Holy of Holies and spread the blood over the mercy seat, the throne, and when they saw the blood covering the mercy seat, sins were forgiven for that particular year. So the author is saying, since we have a great high priest, and he's referring to Jesus, so they understood the role of the high priest, let us hold firmly to what we believe. In other words, let us keep, keep pursuing Jesus. Verse 15, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, 
yet he did not sin. Verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it the most. 14 and 16, I want you to keep looking at it, calls for us to do two things. It says, hold firmly to what we believe. In other words, keep pursuing Jesus. And then the other is to come boldly to God. Well, how are we supposed to do that? Verse 15 is the bridge between 14 and 16. Look at verse 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he was without sin. I like what Tony Evans says. He says, in one sense, Jesus is like all of us. He endured incredible temptation, suffering, and hardship. Yet in another, he is like none of us. He has never sinned, therefore he is the perfect high priest. Jesus is the bridge. Now, look at verse 15 once again. He understands our weaknesses. And so, the beauty of this is Jesus comes to us in our weaknesses. Not when everything's going well. We don't have to clean ourselves up in order to have a relationship with him. He comes to us. He offers a bridge of relationship with us. And it's when, and it's when we need him the most. He says he understands our weaknesses. Or some of your translations say he sympathizes. I want us to touch on the word sympathy for just a moment. Because in the Greek it's an interesting word. And it does not mean detached pity. Sometimes we can just have pity on people. Oh, you're going through a hard time. I have pity on you. And it's detached pity. That is not the word that the Hebrew writer uses at all. In fact, it means this. It is the depth of felt solidarity most closely likened to parents to their children. Every parent in this room understands when your child is in great need. And you can't do anything for them, but you are drawn to them. There's this sympathy that is, you have this oneness with them. It's a felt solidarity. And this says that Jesus feels this solidarity with us. And it's in our weakness. And so the beauty of this morning is, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you choose to become a follower of Jesus, you get to have a relationship with someone who overcame the death, never to die again, and wants to have a relationship with you. And he's one who knows what it is to be thirsty. He knows what it is to be hungry, despised, rejected. He knows what it is to be embarrassed. He knows what it is to be abandoned. He knows what it is to be misunderstood. He knows what it is to be abandoned by uh, all those around him. In fact, his friends abandoned him when he needed them the most. Had he lived today, every last Twitter follower and Facebook friend would have unfriended him. Jesus does not unfriend us. So what do we do? Look at 16. This is so good. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. You will, we get to not, not slither in. We get to walk in boldly because he's inviting us in. Come in, come in, come in. He's like Dane Paulson when he welcomes us for Easter services. Good morning. Come on in. 
And it's in our weakness that we get to come on into his, his presence. And look, what he give, look at the gifts he offers us. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Let me remind you what, how awesome mercy and grace happen to be. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. This might help draw, draw it to a conclusion. Uh, when our kids were younger, we had what we called Grace Day at the Johnson House. And here's how it worked. Our family lived along the lines of, of uh, consequences. If you do the right things, there are good consequences. If you do the wrong thing, there are bad consequences. And so we just had a house of consequences, and we just how we lived our lives. But periodically, I shouldn't say periodically, a lot, our kids did not do what we told them to do. And when they would not do that, there were periodic times that we would sit down with them and we'd say, you did this, you knew better to do that, and here's the consequence. But today is grace day at the Johnson house. Here's what you deserve, but you're not going to get it because it's, it's grace day. And here's what you don't deserve, and this is what you're getting. So thank Jesus, this is grace day at the Johnson house. You know you did wrong, but you know what? We're going to forgive it and forget it. We're not going to hold it over your head. Live in freedom. It is grace day. Now, our kids are smart. They're very smart. So they're thinking, aha, grace day has visited the Johnson house. That gives freedom for us to sin all we want. And so they would fall into whatever thing they weren't supposed to be doing. We'd call them in and say, here's the consequence. And they'd say, so there's a consequence. Get to your room. Say, wait a minute, Dad. What about grace day? What about grace day? Jesus offers us grace. I said, yes, but I'm not Jesus. Get to your room. <laughs> so this morning's takeaway, thank God I'm not Jesus, right? Jesus offers you grace and truth. And when he offers you grace and truth, uh, he comes alongside. Just talk amongst yourselves while I figure out where I was. <laughs> In order to receive grace and truth, you've got to cross the bridge of Jesus, so to speak. There's a bridge, and you have to make a decision if you're going to cross the bridge. I heard it put this way. What elicits mercy and grace what elicits mercy and grace is not the severity of your sin or even the frequency of sin, but it's sinners crossing the bridge. Let me say that one more time. What elicits mercy and grace is not the severity of sin. It is not uh, the severity of sin or even the frequency of sin, but it's whether the sinner comes to him. Jesus is the bridge. Not your next job. Not receiving the vaccine. Not getting a political victory. Not living for uh, total freedom from problems. Those are all secondary things. Your primary need and only need is Jesus and Jesus alone. When you came in this morning, you received a rock. Would you locate that rock? This rock 
represents what you are putting your trust in instead of Jesus. For some of us as followers of Jesus, the temptation is still for us to put our hope and trust in Jesus. But then, at some point, we start trusting in ourselves once again. We try to make life work apart from God. This is what that rock represents. And for some of you who are uh, not yet followers of Jesus, maybe today would be the day that you would pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you paid for my sins by dying on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. I willingly lay down what I've been trusting in for my life, and I put my trust totally in you. The Bible says if you pray something similar to that, Jesus Christ will come into your life and he'll forgive you of your sin. He'll offer you grace and mercy. But grace and mercy comes at a cost. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And it comes at a cost to you to say no to self and yes to Jesus. And here's how we want to close our service this morning. What we'd like to do is invite you to cross this bridge. And as you come around this side, you can come and you can place a rock here and let it go and let that rock represent that you are saying no to self and no to trying to make life work apart and lay that rock down and come across the bridge of Jesus, putting your hope and trust in him alone. We'll sing a couple of songs, amazing songs, so uh, we want to invite you to worship, but also invite you to come and to cross the bridge to put your hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's stand together.